With every extra inch of aperture you can gain, every extra second of observing time you can spare, and every extra atom of atmospheric interference you can remove from your telescope's field of view, the better, deeper, and more clearly you're able to see the universe. When the Hubble Space Telescope began operation in 1990, it ushered in a new era of exploration, that of space-based astronomy. The discoveries it's made have taught us about the universe's expansion, the existence of dark energy, and the ultimate fate of all that's yet to come. Next year, we'll break through to the next frontier in our knowledge of the universe, thanks to the launch of the James Webb Space Telescope. What does the future of astronomy hold? Find out on this edition of the Starts With a Bang podcast. Thanks to the observations that the Hubble Space Telescope has made, humanity has gone deeper and farther than ever before in our understanding of the universe. Hubble's taught us what the earliest galaxies looked like, how they formed, finding the most distant objects ever discovered, and so much more. Yet even Hubble has its limits. Its mirror is only 2.4 meters in diameter. It can only see in a narrow range of wavelengths that barely extend beyond human vision. All while the expansion of the universe stretches the light from the most distant objects to wavelengths far beyond what Hubble could ever see, even if it observed them for an eternity. If we want to view those unseen, ultra-distant objects, we need a larger telescope that can see those stretched, infrared wavelengths that Hubble never can. With a 6.5-meter segmented mirror plated in gold for maximum reflectivity in the infrared with passive and active cryogenic cooling that can take it well below liquid nitrogen temperatures, that's exactly what the James Webb Space Telescope is designed to be. With its huge, large aperture primary mirror, it will be able to collect more light in a single day than Hubble is capable of collecting in a week. But James Webb gives us so much more than simply a size advantage over Hubble. It may be called the James Webb Space Telescope, but in truth, James Webb is so much more than merely just a telescope, it's a true infrared observatory. Its properties are specifically designed by getting down to low temperatures, by having this extraordinarily smooth segmented surface coated the way it's coated, to be an infrared observatory specifically designed to view the universe at wavelengths far beyond what any optical telescope could ever hope to see. It can see not only the wavelengths from green to yellow to orange to red light, but well into the infrared a full 50 times the wavelength that the maximum human eye could ever see. It's gold-coated not just for looks, but for the sheer and supreme ability of gold to reflect infrared light so well. In optical light, we tend to use silvered mirrors. In infrared light, gold is far superior. 
Why is it so important to make these measurements in the infrared? Well, there are a whole slew of things we can observe in the infrared that we can't see in the visible light. The most important ones are at the greatest distance, and this is due to the expansion of the universe. As the fabric of space itself expands, which it does continuously over time, it stretches the wavelength of the light traveling through it. If you have light that's emitted at a certain wavelength and the universe it's traveling through expands, that very space itself, as it stretches, it stretches the wavelength of light along with it. And the farther back in time and space you look, the more severely that light gets stretched. So if you want to see the most distant objects of all, you need to look not just in the ultraviolet and visible light where that light gets created, but deep into the infrared where that light gets shifted to by time it arrives at our eyes. The more distant an object is, the longer and more space that light has to travel through before it arrives at our eyes. This is true for nearby galaxies, for distant galaxies, and goes all the way back to the first stars. As the universe's expansion rate changes, the amount that the light gets shifted changes as well. We need to go as early as possible to see what are today the longest wavelengths possible if we want to go all the way back to the very first stars and galaxies. The universe has expanded by a factor of 20, 25, 30, maybe even as much as a factor of 50 between when the first stars formed and the present day. So if we want to detect that first light, we need to say what was the highest, hottest light that was emitted from these stars. And that light is going to come at the Lyman limit. That's where hydrogen atoms get excited, the electrons fall back down to the energy levels, and the greatest energy light we'll receive is when light drops all the way down to that lowest energy state, the Lyman series. That's where ultraviolet light gets emitted from excited hydrogen atoms. We need not only near-infrared, but mid-infrared, all the way out to 30 microns, perhaps, to be able to detect this for the most distant stars and galaxies in the universe. Yet as sparse and cold as deep space is, it's still a huge challenge to get James Webb Space Telescope cold enough to observe these infrared wavelengths. You must understand that when you're observing something like light, you need it to be cold enough that molecules themselves aren't vibrating enough to produce light. This isn't such a big deal when you talk about visible light. If you get your apparatus colder than about, oh, 800 Kelvin, you won't have any visible light contaminating it. But when you get into infrared wavelengths, you start seeing this contamination at much, much lower temperatures. In order to be good at observing near-infrared wavelengths, you need to get down to about liquid nitrogen level temperatures, about 77 Kelvin. We do that with James Webb via passive cooling. We have a special five-layer sun shield that highly reflects the light on the sunward side and yet allows the away from the sun side, the side facing towards space, to expel heat through the side. By time you get to the end of the fifth layer, 
and you're facing the telescope itself, you're below liquid nitrogen temperatures. But if you want to get further, if you want to get into the mid-infrared, down to those 20, 30 microns, you need active cooling to get there. You need to have an onboard coolant to get you down to just 7 Kelvin, just a few degrees above absolute zero. Down at those low temperatures and those long wavelengths of light, there's an incredible slew of science that's going to come about. Here are some of the highlights of what James Webb is expected to be able to do. It's going to allow us to observe the earliest galaxies ever to form. It's going to allow us to see through the neutral gas in the universe and to probe the first stars and the reionization of the universe where the first neutral atoms actually become ionized and the universe becomes transparent to light thanks to the ionized medium and thanks to the fact that this visible light, when it's emitted, can now pass through the neutral matter that had previously blocked it. We'll be able to do spectroscopic analysis of the very first population three stars. These are the first stars to form after the Big Bang that are made exclusively of this pristine hydrogen and helium. And possibly we might get some amazing surprises, like we might uncover how the earliest supermassive black holes and quasars formed in the entire universe. But the most exciting things, of course, will be the unexpected. They will be the things we'll discover that we don't even know we should be looking for just yet. We didn't know Hubble would find a universe expanding as it did. We didn't know that it would help discover distant supernovae and usher in a dark energy-filled universe, or that Hubble would reveal so much of what it's uncovered. There's no reason to believe James Webb won't give us just as big of a scientific advance. If Hubble taught us what the universe truly looks like, James Webb will show us how the universe grew up. James Webb will show us how the universe went from the barely structured, almost perfectly uniform universe that the cosmic microwave background reveals to the rich, clumped and clustered universe Hubble and other optical observatories show us today. As we pass the autumnal equinox in 2017, we find ourselves just one year from the launch of James Webb, and it's worth looking at what those possible candidate surprises that it could reveal might be. First thing it might discover, the most exciting perhaps, an oxygen-rich atmosphere on an Earth-sized, potentially habitable world. If we turn out to find a transiting Earth-sized planet around a close enough red dwarf star, James Webb could measure the contents of its atmosphere. The absorptive effect of molecules like carbon dioxide, methane, or even oxygen, even molecular oxygen, could provide the very first indirect evidence for life beyond our solar system. 
stars and galaxies may form earlier than our standard theories predict. James Webb will be able, thanks to its infrared eyes, to see back to when the universe was just between 200 to 275 million years old. That's under 2% of its current age. This should capture most of the first galaxies and the late stages of formation of the first stars. But what we might find is that these star clusters and these galaxies are more evolved than they ought to be. We might find evidence that previous generations of stars and galaxies needed to exist even earlier than what James Webb could see. It could teach us new surprises about the gravitational growth of the large-scale structure and small-scale structure present within the universe. James Webb could reveal a very surprising possibility. It could reveal whether supermassive black holes predate the first galaxies. The standard picture is that these black holes began from the first generation of stars. They merged together and sunk to the centers of galaxy clusters, and then they accreted matter to become supermassive. We hope to find a confirmation of this picture and of growing early-stage black holes, but a surprise would be to find them fully grown in these ultra-young galaxies. No matter what the outcome, James Webb will shed light on these objects, and finding them in any stage of evolution will represent a huge advance for astronomical and astrophysical science. Finally, the very first stars of all, may turn out to be much more massive than the largest stars that exist today. The most massive star we've ever found exists today in the Tarantula Nebula. It's about 260 times the mass of the Sun. But if we look to the early universe, we know that the very first stars will be vastly different than the ones we have today. Instead of being made of a mix of hydrogen, helium, and the heavy elements, the metals that came about from the previous generations of stars that pollute these pristine environments today, the early universe, the very first stars within it, they need to be almost 100% pure hydrogen and helium with no other elements. The amount of impurities would be less than a millionth of a percent. While stars today may get as massive as 1 to 2 to maybe 200 and change solar masses, the early universe may have had stars 300, 500, or even a thousand or more times the mass of our sun. No matter what the result is, James Webb should enable us to find this out. Lots of people are making the claim that the James Webb Space Telescope will be the next Hubble. It isn't, and it shouldn't attempt to be. James Webb is going to teach us how the universe grew up, how it came to be the way it is today from this initial state. While Hubble brought us a tremendous advance in showing us how the universe looks, what the universe looks like, James Webb will do one better than Hubble can. It will show us how it went from this uniform, barely over-dense or under-dense region that was the same in all directions and in all locations to the vast, rich, diverse universe we experience and view today. 
It's not the next Hubble. It's the very first James Webb. And when it starts returning images of the universe, you may never look at your place in the cosmos the same way again. The Starts With a Bang podcast is made possible through the generous donation of our Patreon supporters. Find Starts With a Bang on Patreon and become a supporter today. I'd like to thank everyone donating at the $5 a month level and above for your support. For making this possible, thank you. Ryan Schultz, Samir Kumar, Bakhtiar, Chris Shaw, Denier, Robert J. Hansen, Thomas Sola, Richard Jousey, Igor Mitrofanov, Pedro Teixeira, Alexander Marius, Denis Arnaud, John Kozura, Nick Tomlinson, Guy Jin, DGE, Rafael Wojcik, Jason Besansini, Bob Wilson, Marcelo Barnaba, Danny, Andrew T. Douglas, Chris Hilly, Weller Tractor Salvage, Zarko Opachik, James Nance, Bill Murphy, Sidney Atwood, Karen Garrison, Benjamin Turner, Joe Latone, John Seal, Rachel Merritt, Philip Radilovic, Peter Williams, Patrick Dennis, David Taschioni, Kevin Barnes, Glenn McDavid, Jose Enrique, Joe McFarland, Braxton Thomason, Steve Omohundro, Harry Plumley, Frederick Y. Martello, Tomas All, Mark Armstrong, John Methot, Amir Sosnik, Radek Nesbida, and Nathan Hanna. Thanks everyone for tuning in and joining us, and I'll see you next time here for more Starts With a Bang. <laughs>